Good morning. We are, uh, as you can see on the screen there, taking a little, doing a little one-off uh, sermon on the conflict that's going on in Israel. Um, and uh, why, I guess, what's the, why are we doing this? We didn't, we don't do this all the time, didn't do it for Russia and Ukraine, you know, we had a prayer time, but um, this, just what's going on, a couple things, the, the, the words that keep coming back to me um, are from First and Second, Second Thessalonians, if you're familiar with those, Paul's, there's questions in that that church had, and they were writing to Paul, and he responded with his heart, and he said, he said a couple things. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed. It was one of the th- first things he said. I don't want you to be uninformed. And, and there is, we live in a world where there is so much information, and it seems so polarized. You just kind of, the, everything being talked about is so extremes, it seems. And part of my heart is I just don't want you to be uninformed. And then he says something else. He says, I, I don't want you to be alarmed or shaken right and and a lot of this drives our world often is driven by fear and uh, we talked about this at the last elders meeting and that was one of the things that came out as i was talking like do i share something do we take a sunday to talk about this and that was one of the things that was on the elders hearts was just we don't want you to live in fear when we see all that's happening and so we are not to be given to fear right? fear not god says and so so don't to be alarmed or shaken but then the other thing paul says the third thing is he says i don't want you to be deceived be careful not to be deceived or fooled and uh and so there is a lot of deception out there and so we wanted to be able to try and bring what does god's word say and so that's that's really been the heart my heart behind it and why i want to just take a sunday to do this um is well just because there's biblical connections. I mean, there's always, there's wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said there would be that up until the end. But this specific, anything around Israel, obviously Israel's in the Bible. That's the, it's the, pretty much the story of Israel. We've been grafted in, right? And so there's significance to it. And as part of it is, um, if part of the information you might be hearing is that there's people talking about, is this a fulfillment of a prophecy about the end times and that? And so I just thought it was important for us as a body, as a church family, just to kind of talk about it. Maybe I want, don't want you to be uninformed, alarmed or shaken or deceived. And that's the heart behind this morning. And so, um, just one thing I'd say, um, please, uh, give me some grace. I'm going to do my best to try and speak as best I can to this. Obviously, we can't cover even go into too much detail. It's a real struggle to try and find how much detail. What do you say? There's always going to be asterisks and caveats and things like that. I'm going to be making general statements just to try and help us get a kind of a big 10,000-foot view, okay? And so just just know that, yes, we all know that there's exceptions to everything. As soon as you make a blank statement, you know, then then there's you're in danger. So I just want to just to say, just give some grace. Let's continue to talk. I mean, it's it's not better just to avoid the conversation altogether, is it? Right? And so we need to give grace, but we're a family. We're together. We're united. And so we want to help one another. How do we and we live in this world. This is our reality. And so how do we process it as a church family? And so I'd ask that. The other thing I'll say for this morning, I'll give you just an overview, is that um, we're going to start, I'm just going to give kind of an overview of what's happened. Some of you watch the news, follow it, know all the details of everything that's happened. Some of you I've talked to really haven't followed it much and don't really know. And so I feel just we need to kind of have just a what's happened since October 7th, as well as how do we get there, 
you know, so a bit of a talk on the history of this. Some of you know the history of Israel and became a nation. Some of you don't. And, uh, and so we just want to, there's going to be some more of a foundation, just almost more of a classroom thing. And so I just, that's just kind of needs to be to kind of give us a foundation. But then the second part, we'll talk about prophecy. Because again, I think that's important that I don't want you to be deceived or scared or uninformed about what people are saying. How does this connect to prophecies in the Bible? And uh, I'll talk more about that when we get there. And that'll be the second part. And then the last part is what Boris read. And this is what's most important, is what do we do? How do we respond as Christians? What do we take away from, from this? Like, and uh, how are we to be? And that's where we're really going to look at that passage and uh, reflect on it, because that's what we want to, to take away from this morning. Um, so to start, just... Uh, Kind of an overview. You may know some of this information. You may not. But this is just an overview of what's, what's happened in the last month or so. So this is a map of Israel. Maybe kind of how you, well you can see. But bottom left is Gaza Strip, which is where a lot of the conflict has happened. You can see the yellow there. And then the West Bank is kind of in the middle of the bigger. So that makes up Palestine, if you've heard of Palestine. Israel is kind of the rest. Egypt is to the south. Jordan to the east. Lebanon to the north. Okay, so that's kind of a picture. So the, the, what happened was um, on October 7th, um, a group called Hamas, which is an extremist Islamic group, um, they came at, and they did a coordinated large-scale attack from the Gaza Strip and kind of there it is, into all these small, unprotected Israeli villages um, all along outside that, that border. They call them a kibbutz. And, uh, and so they attacked those. It was a coordinated attack backed by Iran. And uh, the intent was to inflict as much terror as possible. They went into civilian homes, babies, children, women, old, young, didn't matter, and brutally killed and tortured and videoed it. And um, that's public. That's not... That's not that's not me. I mean, they, they live-streamed it because their goal was to inflict as much terror as possible. So ended up about 1,400 um, Israelis were killed. Some of those would have been some military when they were breaking through the defenses, the wall. There's a wall, a fence that goes around Gaza. Um, but the majority were civilians. Um, and then 242 is the number, kind of the latest number I found as far as hostages taken, which a few have been released, but many are still taken. Uh, in response to that, the Israeli Defense Force, IDF, that's the Israeli military, um, they responded. They, of course, tried to eliminate any Hamas militants from within Israel, and then they immediately began to bomb and strike the um, Hamas military or Hamas rocket places, just targets within the Gaza Strip. Okay, um, Within a couple of days, they, they had put together a war cabinet. They officially declared war on Hamas. And um, on October 26th, they led a ground invasion, actually began ground operations invading into the Gaza Strip. Um, through, during all of that um, conflict to this point, were upwards of nine, the reports of about 9,000 um, people, Palestinians, within the Gaza Strip have been killed. Um, and that's made up of whole different they don't divide that that's a lot of militants but a lot a lot of civilians as well palestinian civilians um 
And so this is where I just like to kind of offer, that's the situation at this point, but offer maybe a caution or something for us as Christians, just as we, that's just what's happened at a really high level. And I don't know if you're like me, but you just feel overwhelmed by to even hear that kind of devastation. If you've ever, if you've seen any pictures on the news or anything, that Gaza Strip is about 40 kilometers long by between 12 and 6 kilometers wide. So it's actually a very small area. It's basically here, south to Hensel, to the lake, if you were to give you an idea. And there's over 2 million people in that small area. And so um, it's a very densely populated area. And so huge amount of suffering, homes, entire cities just leveled. Um, and, uh, and so when you think of that, my first caution is... Um, what we're hearing out there is our world is so polarized. And so a caution is that we don't use these numbers and we look at figures to somehow justify one to make what one did okay or the other okay to, to assign this one's more bl- to blame than that one's more to blame, this one's more morally right or morally wrong. That's not the approach we want to have. That's the way the world wants us to try and take sides, okay, and to try and justify one and condemn the other. And so as Christians, we need to be careful that we don't enter into that, get drawn, pulled into that, because here are just some of the things, these can all be true. What Hamas did intentionally, deliberately, entering and, and killing brutally civilians, innocent civilians, right, is pure evil. There's no justification. There's no way you can say it's okay because there is no but. Those actions are pure evil and wrong. And at the same time, we know it's true that there are many, many, we don't know what the exact number is, we don't know all the circumstances around, but we know there are many Palestinians that have been killed, some children, you know, of all ages again. That's just true. And it's as a direct result of what Israel, someone's pushing the button. And there's all kinds of complicated circumstances. Hamas, we know, uses their own civilians, Palestinian civilians, as human shields, and they set up their rocket launchers on schools and hospitals and all kinds of things like that. That's true. But it doesn't change the fact that there is innocent lives that are being killed and suffering. And so as Christians, when we look at that, the solution, what's the solution to this? And there is only one solution. There needs to be, until people are willing to forgive, and repent and turn from from doing wrong and evil and come to know Christ. That is the only actual solution. It's why war grieves the heart of God, because there is no beauty in war. This is the result. And there's very difficult decisions, and I don't know what I'd do if I was in the shoes of people in those places. But, and so I'm not saying it's easy, I'm just saying that we need to have a heart You know, Jesus said, love your enemies. Our heart needs to be not for one side or the other, but we pray for the innocent on both sides. We pray that those with wrong motivations and wicked motivations would would change, have a change of heart, okay? And on both sides. And we ask that they would all come to know Jesus. That's the thing that they need both, a change of heart through knowing Christ. And I was just reminded, I mean, as I was thinking about that, I, I, our, our passage from when we were in Ephesians, this just says it so well, back to our Ephesians series, a little tie-in quick. 
Ephesians 2, 13 and 14 and 17, we read this a couple weeks ago. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He's talking about peace between, not only peace with God, but peace between one another. Between who? Who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's so much hostility in this. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. Do you remember who he was talking about? The Gentiles. This is, the, this, is, this is Hamas. This is the Palestinians. And peace to those who are near. That was talking about the Jews. That's the heart that we're to have. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, do we believe that God can save and change hearts of a terrorist? Do you know Simon the Zealot? Zealot's really just another name for terrorist, right? One of Jesus' own disciples, Simon the Zealot, he was basically, the Zealots, they were like, would kill the Romans by any means. Assassinating, that was what Simon's life was before, and Christ saved him. Or religious extremists, you know, Paul hunted down Christians in their homes to arrest them, and some of them killed. Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? Until Jesus met him on the road. Jesus can change hearts, and that's our prayer. Amen? And he can change the hearts across. So that was the first thing. So that's the situation that we're in, or that's going on right now. And so how did this all, how did we get here? I mean, where did this start? Um, And so here's just kind of some history on the conflict. This conflict actually goes back to Isaac and Ishmael. It's one of the reasons we're going to talk about it on a Sunday morning is because this has got biblical religious foundations. If you remember the story of Abraham, God comes and has a covenant with Abraham and a promise, this is Genesis 16, to say you know, that you're, you're going to have your, a nation through you and, and Abraham doesn't trust God's promise and he goes, tries to do it his own way and he sleeps with Hagar, Sarah's, Sarah's maidservant and, and has Ishmael, right? And, uh, and so you have Ishmael and Ishmael is the, the um, father of the modern day Arabs, and um, Muslims would claim Ishmael, uh, Muhammad, is a direct um, descendant of Ishmael. So we have that's their lineage. Um, and then the Jews, of course, we know, came through Isaac. Isaac had Esau and Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel. And there's where we get the name Israel. And so it goes all the way back to that point. And so just a kind of a quick history. You probably know a lot of this. Israel, right, Jacob, 12 sons, go into Egypt, become a nation for 400 years in Egypt. Um, Exodus with Moses, right? Go, and this is where they possess the promised land around 1200 to 1400 BC, depending on which historian you, you, you listen to. But in around that age is where they took the promised land. The Exodus happened and they get into the promised land. And then the Jews live in that land. That's when Israel became that location that we had the map there, became there. Israel inhabited that land from about 12 to 1400 BC. They had their golden age with David and Solomon, and then they start worshiping idols at the end of Solomon. That's what the kids are learning in Sunday school today is the end of Solomon's reign. And, uh, and they begin to turn, and they just idol-worshiping king after idol-worshiping king until God sends them into exile in Babylon in about 588 BC. And from that point on, Israel was still a nation, but for the most part, they were ruled, they were under the rule of some world empire. There was a couple blips of where they had some independence, but for the most part, from Babylon to Assyria, and then Persia, and then Greece with the Alexander the Great, and by the time of Jesus, it's Rome. 
Um, the other significant thing that happens then in terms of Israel as a nation is in AD 70, in about 60, AD 67, they revolted, rebelled against Rome. Rome came in and crushed them um, and destroyed, burned Jerusalem, and that's where they destroyed the temple, threw all the stones off, fulfilled Jesus' prophecy that there wouldn't be one stone left on another you know, that prophecy. So that happened in AD 70. And a huge dispersion at that point. A lot of the Jews started to flee Israel and start to go to other places in the world. Um, at that point, a similar event happened in 130, where, again, they tried to revolt. Again, Rome came in and crushed them, and even more so, the Jews really started to leave Israel, the land of Israel, and go to uh, all around the world. Um, interesting that when the, it was renamed Palestine, so it was the Caesar, is probably, most historians believe, probably is another way to try and take some identity from Israel. He renamed it from Israel to Palestine, which was just the Latin form of Philistine you know, from your Bibles way back, right? Um, so he renamed it from Israel to Palestine. And uh, that's what it's called up until this day, basically. Um, and then by, by the 600s, um, the land was under Arab control. Muhammad comes along in the Muslim, kind of Muslim armies take over around 630, starting around 630. Um, and so Jerusalem and Israel is under Arab Muslim control for starting around the 600s for for many, many centuries. The Dome of the Rock that's on the, uh, the, on the Temple Mount was built in 680. Kind of give you an idea of what's going on. And so at that point, there was virtually no Jews left in Israel. And it was like that right up until um, basically the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it's at that point that some Jews started to come back and uh, started to go back and, and settle again in Palestine. And uh, so you had all these Jews returning and uh, at that time, it was under British rule up until about uh, just after World War II. And just after World War II, you had all these Jews coming back and, and starting to settle in Palestine. And, uh, and the UK proposed that they give, make um, two states, an Arab state and an, and an Israeli state, um, in that land of Palestine. And the newly formed United Nations voted in favor for it. And so in 1948, Israel became a nation again. And so that's when Israel became a nation, and so there was kind of an Arab state and then an Israeli state, and that Israel is a nation. Um, from that point, you can see the tensions, right? You had it was the Arabs were there, now the Israelis have come back, now they've been given nation, and so that's where tensions really started to, to go. And since that point in 1948, there's been conflict between the Arabs, the Palestinians, and um, the Jews. Now I say Arabs, Palestinians, because up until about 1948, Jews living, everybody would have been Palestinians. It's like, we're Canadians because we live here, you know? And so you would have had Jewish Palestinians and Arab Palestinians. They just, you were Palestinian if you lived in the land, right? It wasn't until our modern day, Palestinian has become associated with a certain people group. But uh, that's more recent. It was actually, uh, up until then, Jews would have considered themselves Palestinians as well. But anyway, so there's this, this divide, a couple significant things. In the Six-Day War in 1967, Israel um, took back a bunch. They, they attacked and took back, claimed more land of Israel. Um, in 1973, the Yom Kippur War, um, a bunch of Arab nations did a coordinated attack against Israel, and uh, Israel defended it against it, but there was a significant attack. And just of note there, it was 50 years to the day on October 7th that Hamas attacked from that when they attacked 50 years prior, the Yom Kippur War. And so that's, you can see, we have all this conflict over land, really, right? But what's significant about this conflict is that it's not just um, 
conflict over land. Um, it's, uh, and, and so I go back, that's just kind of the map of where it landed today. The borders have shifted a little bit here and there, but those were the significant events that defined the borders that we have here today. But the significant thing here is it's not just over land. And you'll hear this a lot. Again, I want you to be uninformed. You'll hear this a lot talking about, you know, it's a battle over land and whose homeland and Jews claim they go all the way back to 1400 BC, but the Palestinians would say they go back to 130, right? And so there's this, this argument. But if it was just over land, then the two-state solution you've probably heard, I'm sure there'd be a way they could figure it out, right? But the problem is so much deeper than that. It's ideological, it's religious in nature. And that's where Hamas comes in. And so Hamas um, is an Islamic jihadist militant group. Um, so terrorist group, because their goal is to inflict terror. Um, and, and this isn't a secret, again, this is quite open. Their charter, their official charter, states that their purpose is to eliminate Israel from the land by any means. Um, just, just this week, there was a top Hamas official who said that their intent would be to do October 7th over and over and over again, if they could, and they will, is what he said. Um, so it gives you an idea. There's no remorse for that. Um, that is their ideology. That is their goal. And they're not the only ones. There's other groups. Hezbollah is the extremist group to the north um, in Lebanon. Um, has an even bigger army, both backed by Iran. And Iran is a country that has the same views. Again, not, not being secret about it. They're very outspoken about their goal. And so you have this, this ideology that drives them. Um, and in 2005, something really significant happened. And that was the Palestinians just in Gaza elected Hamas as their civil government. So this is what makes this so complicated, is that Palestine is both Gaza Strip and West Bank. Up until that point, the civil government was a Palestinian authority, it's called. And they were a government civil, you know, a party, a government party, basically. Obviously still very pro-Palestinian, but they weren't an extremist militant group. They were a political group, okay? And they kind of ruled. But in 2005... The Palestinians just in the Gaza Strip um, elected Hamas to be not only to be their civil government. And so now Hamas wasn't just a military group within Gaza. They were now also the government of Gaza. Schools, hospitals, roads, all that stuff, right? But at the same time, they're a militant group that has this set out goal to destroy Israel. That's their main aim. And so since 2005, at that point, Israel... You know, you're not going to stay. They had been doing it. Israel had been doing tons of aid and different things in Gaza. So they pulled out completely because they're not going to stay there if this group's stated intent is to, to kill them. So they pulled out completely from, from Gaza Strip in 2005, and they built the fence completed in 2007. So there's a wall, a fence that goes all the way around between Gaza Strip and Israel. And so you can see how this is very, very complicated and tough. You have two million Palestinians that are being governed, elected and being governed by an extremist military group. That Hamas group actually, when that happened, they actually kicked out the Palestinian Authority. And so you have the Palestinian Authority still kind of overseeing the civilian authority in, in the West Bank, but you have Hamas in the Gaza Strip. And that's why since that point, Hamas has been launching rockets. You know, the, the tension since 2005 has basically been Hamas very rudimentary rockets launching them out of Gaza, and Israel has a very sophisticated defense system shooting the rockets out of the sky. And that's basically been the status quo until um, October 7th when they were able to do this large-scale brutal attack. Um, 
there's so much more that could be said. There's, it's very complicated as far as the nuances of all the government and how it all works and where Israel's involved and not, and it's very complicated. But I wanted to explain that. Um, because the other significant thing with this October 7th attack is that it has drawn the world in. What was Israel was normalizing ties, creating ties with Saudi Arabia and other Arabian countries, and things were going on. They each had their allies. But since that October 7th, the whole world is being polarized. The whole, all these world nations are needing to be being tons of pressure to kind of choose a side, and that's what you'll see in the news. There's all this pressure to, to choose a side. And uh, with Israel kind of, and, and Palestine caught in the middle. Um, and so countries like Iran and U.S., U.S. allies, Iran allies with Hamas, U.S. allies with Israel, and other countries and all the ties. And that's the situation that we're in in the world. And so um, is a second kind of caution or reminder for us how we process this as Christians um, is that we remind ourselves that we're not citizens of any nation. As we see all these nations being pressured to kind of side with one side or the other, as Christians, we remember that we are citizens of God's kingdom. We are a holy nation unto ourselves. Yes, we're citizens as Canadians or whatever as well, right? And we obey the government's rules as long as they don't tell us anything to dis- that disagrees with the Bible, right? If it, but if it's not, it's not says you can't do it in the Bible, we're supposed to obey them, right? And so we, we be good civil servants where we're living, but we are not citizens of any one country. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And so we remind ourselves that there are Palestinian Christians, there's Egyptian Christians, there's Messianic Jews, Jewish Christians. The fastest growing church in the world, a lot of people are saying, is the underground church in Iran. One of the most extremist, if you're Christian, you're killed, right? And that's one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Those are our brothers and sisters. And our, our call, the call on us, is to, is to be praying for all those that everyone would come and come to be part of God's holy nation. That's our desire. And so we just need to be careful that we're not looking to siding with one or other. And one of the things that's challenging that you'll hear maybe, and I just want to speak to, is that Israel is... You know, we need to side, the Christians need to side with Israel just kind of by default because Israel is God's special people. I just want us to be careful. What do we mean by that? We mean that God loves them more than the Palestinians? No, right? God is love, infinite love. He loves every single person created in his image. He doesn't love them more or less either side. It's not how much he loves them. Does he want one to get saved more than the other? No. So what is it? What does it mean that Israel is a special people? Israel is a special nation because it was through Israel that Christ came. They have the Old Testament. They have the prophets. They have all these, all the word of God saying the Messiah is coming right? And so, yes, they were chosen as a special people for that, and he still loves them dearly, but he loves the Palestinians. He loves everyone. He's calling them all to repent, right? Just like we looked at in Ephesians there, Jesus came by his blood. Those who are far, the Palestinians, and those that are near, the Jews, they all need to come to Christ, come to God through the blood of Christ, right? And so we just need to be careful that we don't just default to siding with Israel. At the same time, 
the devil hates Israel. And we have seen throughout history, you can't study history without seeing the Jews are a hated people. And so we, we stand against that, right? We stand against that hatred of Jews just because they're Jews, right? We stand for them and uh, stand up in that way. And so that's one of the tensions that we live in as Christians. And we pray for the Jews. One of the things we need to remember when it comes to the Jewish nation is that they've hardened their heart against God. But we have this promise in the scriptures that they're going to come back. They're going to finally recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And so um, I'm just two verses from Romans 11. But if you're taking notes, there's, there's notes, paper in the chairs in front of you somewhere if you want to take notes. Especially when we get into the next section, I'm going to go in prophecy. I'm just doing a really fire hose overview, so you're going to have to write down references to take them home, okay? But here's one to start you out if you want to do more. Romans chapter 11 really talks about the, um, the, the, how Israel, this, who is Israel, the Jews, how do we view them? And this is Paul writing. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. The mystery he's talking about is how Jews and Gentiles are both children of God. A partial hardening has come on Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, for as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them, and I will take away their sins. And I just picked those two verses, but if you go read all of Romans 11, that's the whole argument in Romans 11, is talking about how the Jews have hardened their heart, and so the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. We've been welcomed into God's family, but he hasn't forgot about the Jews. He still cares and loves about them, and there's going to be a day when they're finally going to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And so we can be praying for that. We can be praying that this conflict would open their eyes to Jesus as the Messiah. So there's kind of the situation. Um, there's the, I don't want you to be uninformed or shaken. I'll say, okay. And, uh, and so that's just the situation and how maybe you can be praying for what's going on. Um, I want to talk now about the prophecies because this is the other thing for us as Christians. It's as unique to us is that you might have heard different people talking about that this is a fulfillment of certain prophecies. And so, again, don't want you to be uninformed or shaken or, or deceived or fooled. And so um, we're going to talk about prophecies. Just to lay the groundwork for prophecies, I don't know if you ever heard this analogy, but there's, there's, when it comes to religion or doctrine, there's close-handed things and open-handed, okay? So this is positions, doctrines, theology that we hold. Some things are close-handed. They don't, they don't change. We don't budge on these things, okay? So classic examples would be the creeds, the ancient creeds, right? The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. These are things that, non-negotiables, okay? They are close-handed positions that we hold, um, our statement of faith. This is why churches have a statement of faith. This is our, we're holding to this. This is our, our closed-handed. Open-handed, it's still something you believe, you hold to, but it's with an open hand where we can say, you and I can disagree or we can with, disagree with another denomination, and yet we're still going to be worshiping around the throne of God someday, okay? When it comes to end times prophecy, if you want a fancy word so you can Google it later, eschatology, it's like E-S-C-H, um, but uh, just... I, kind of give you those sometimes so you can google them yourself um but anyways but end time stuff when it comes to end times or prophecies i'm just going to tell you the majority is in this hand okay the majority is in an open-handed thing right time sequence and you start getting into it anybody who's ever looked into that you're going to see all kinds of views and so i just wanted to lay that down 
Um, here's an example. This is, as far as what's in the closed hand, okay, here's what we, all of us are going to agree on, okay, as a church. We believe that God intervenes in the affairs of this world, and at the time of God's choosing, Jesus will bodily return to the earth in power and glory to judge and rule the world as God's kingdom is fully and forever established. That's from our statement of faith, okay? Jesus is coming back. He's going to rule. God's going to make all things right. Closed hand, (laughs) non-negotiable, okay? Or from the Nicene Creed, just kind of says the same thing, a little more shorter. He, Jesus, will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. So there's, there's our close handed. Outside of that, the sequence of events, the timing and stuff like that, we need to hold it with an open hand. And so here's my cautions. I'm going to share a little bit about the prophecy that's being talked about directly related to the Israel conflict. And I'm going to give you the lanes. You can go in, okay? I'm not going to tell you which one to choose. I'm going to give you some different views of what people have, what they're thinking about. But I'm going to give you the ditches, okay? So ditch number one, ditch number one where you can fall into error is to go past what the Bible has written and, and close your hand on it, okay? And this is where we can err, and this is where we see, you know, classic example is people setting dates for Jesus' return, right? Sells a lot of books, but then they're wrong and fade, but they made a lot of money, right? And it's just, I mean, Jesus himself said, you're not going to know the day or the hour, right? So, so there would be an example of don't try and figure out the day or the hour, right? And so you run into error, right? And so I say caution. There can be... There can be an obsession with this, with this end time stuff, like it's a puzzle that you have to figure out and get all you get. The, and it, it reminds me of, you remember when we did the Colossians series, we talked about Gnosticism. It was like this heresy in the early church about this secret knowledge. It reminds me of that. It's like this group and they get together and they talk and they have these, I got it all figured out. And they look at every world event that happens every week and it somehow fits into their picture of the end times. And I just think, be careful that it doesn't become this, this secret knowledge that you're just obsessed with right and so there's there's error number one okay just be careful right but then the other ditch is that you go well and what's the point you know let's just you know jesus come back someday let's just keep love god love others you know and just carry on we don't look at any of those and i go but the problem with that is that jesus said jesus said pay attention Jesus said, keep away. Jesus said, have your eyes open, right? We have entire books of the Bible, Revelation, you know, that is specifically just for that. Revelation says, blessed are those who read and hear and keep the words of this book. And so this is the tension. All the passages that talk about end times things, right? You'll, you'll pretty much see this tension in every one. And I just want to be, tell you that I think this is how we need to hold what's going to happen in the future, Right? And so Jesus, like I said, he says to pay attention, to stay awake. He gives a parable of the fig tree to the disciples, right? Just the fact that the disciples, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, give us the signs of the age. Jesus didn't say, yeah, don't worry about it. He gave them signs of the end of the age, right? And then he gives a parable of the fig tree and says, just like a fig tree, you start to guess when the fruit's going to be coming. You watch when the blossoms are coming, right? He says, just like that, you, uh, you should be, have your eyes and here's some signs to pay attention to, right? But at the same time in that, he says, you don't know the day or the hour. It's going to come like a thief in the night. And so Jesus himself gives us that, that direction. Revelation, like I said, it says, blessed are the ones, right? So we don't ignore it because there's an entire book. God put it there for some reason. First, second, first and second Thessalonians, Paul's writing a letter in response to questions that this church had 
and he doesn't say, yeah, don't worry about it. He gives them answers, and he uses, he quotes Jesus. If you read First and Second Thessalonians, it's all just him quoting what Jesus said and explaining it, right? So if you want to understand what Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, read First and Second Thessalonians, because Paul kind of gives you a little more expansion on it. But again, he says he doesn't want them to be uninformed, but then he also quotes Jesus' words about Jesus coming as a thief in the night. But then he also points to particular signs. And so I just give you that as a foundation. There's the ditches. So we don't obsess over it, right? We don't go too far past what is written. But because that can get us shaken and alarmed, right? And then we don't, that's what we don't want. But then we also don't ignore it because then we can be deceived and fooled, right? And, uh, and so there's the, the, the path. So specifically to the Israel conflict, the one that's being talked about is Ezekiel 38 and 39, um, and so Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, Ezekiel was a prophet and a priest that um, lived during the exile, so he was in Babylon, okay? And Ezekiel, um, God gave him a series of visions and prophecies about what would happen, and in particular, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, there's a, a prophecy that God gave him that we have. Um, and it's this prophecy about Gog, from Magog. So Gog, so you can turn there if you want. Uh, Ezekiel 38, 39, definitely make a note. Um, I'm not going to read through it. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to point out the, I'm going to, I'm leaving it for you to, to be able to look at your home. I just want you to be informed about what people are saying. This is the one that people are talking about when it comes to this Israel conflict having to do with a biblical prophecy. So here's the actual prophecy from Ezekiel. It talks about, you'll see there in in chapter 38 of Ezekiel, um, it talks about this Gog, and it's a title for a prince or a ruler um, of this nation of Magog. And all we know about Magog is that it's kind of north of Israel. Most people put it kind of around Black and Caspian Sea, so that'd be modern-day Russia, Turkey, Iran, would kind of be the area of Magog as best they can, can, uh, we can see. But So it's this prophecy that this ruler of Gog is going to re- lead this, this coalition of nations to, to attack Israel from the north. That's verses 1 to 15 of chapter 38. But then in verse 16 and on to the end of the chapter, what you have is God says he's going to fight on behalf of Israel against this nation. Right? And so God is going to fight for Israel. Why? Verse 23 says, so that the nations will know that he is the Lord. And then chapter 39, chapter 39 basically just goes into tons of detail about that battle. And so it kind of goes into more detail about it. So why are people saying that this is this, what's happening in Israel right now is, is a fulfillment of that or could be a fulfillment of that? Here's why. Um, 38 verse 8 talks about how the Jews, after an extended period of time, will return to, to Israel. And so people look at that and they say, well, look, at Israel was out of the land up until 19, 1900s, you know, and until 1948, there wasn't a nation of Israel again. So they see, hey, maybe there's a parallel there that the Jews were gone for a long time and now they're back. So that's one of the reasons. In 3811, it talks about how the people of Israel will dwell securely in unwalled villages, right? And so this one, this is an example of how people are looking at this two different ways. Some people go, well, they're dwelling securely because 
people who have been to Israel have told me this. It felt maybe a year ago. It feels secure. There's so much security around. Israelis themselves are very confident and proud of their Iron Dome system, and so it feels secure, right? Um, the villages that were attacked were unwalled and ungated. That's why they were so easily attacked, right? After they got through the wall around Gaza, these actual little villages didn't have walls or anything around them. So people are going, yeah, look at that. Other people are looking at it and going, yeah, but... Israel is not dwelling in safety. They're constantly under attack from the north and from the south, and it's a, it's a nation of walls and gates. It, uh, you know, everywhere you go, there's walls, all the places. It's Gaza, West Bank, north. It's all walls and gates. And so um, those, something has to happen with those. There has to be greater peace before this is fulfilled. So I'm just, again, I'm giving you two. People are trying to interpret this, but they're looking at that would be one of the other things. And then the other key one is this attack from the north. This attack of Gog comes from the north, and people look at all the things, you know, the fact that it's coming from Iran, Russia, there's ties with Turkey, all those political things people watch and go, and Hezbollah, this massive extremist Islamic, is at the north border, and they're just looking to um, to attack Israel. And they are firing rockets and things like that even now, today, but they haven't done a full-scale attack. And so people are saying, what if, if they attack from the north, is that the fulfillment of this? And so there's why people are going, hey, I wonder if this is a fulfillment. So then what would that mean if it is or if it, how, does, how do people looking at, what are the views on Ezekiel 38 and 39 when it comes to end time stuff? Well, this is where I, I'm going to give you all the lanes and I leave it to you. So I want you to be informed, okay? But I'm not going to tell you which one. And, and, and I, these are the biblical basis. And there's other wacky ideas out there. But these are the ones from a biblical, biblical basis where people have different interpretations of what the Bible says. And I just want to give those to you because I think there's merit in each of them. The first one is they believe this Ezekiel 38, 39 has something to do with before um, Christ comes. So it's part of the Antichrist. Some people think Gog is the Antichrist, just another name. Other people would say he's a precursor to the Antichrist and kind of sets up the world stage for the antichrist to come on the scene so that would be one view and there's some reasons because of the parallels of what happens um, there with some of the other texts and revelation and stuff so that would be one view so that would be the one that would be these things are an immediate fulfillment the people who are seeing what's happened in israel they would hold the view that well it must be before antichrist and great tribulation and that because obviously that hasn't started yet so that would be the view that that those people would hold but then another view of this prophecy in ezekiel is that it's when jesus returns in power and glory to destroy the antichrist kingdom so um and the reason some people would see this prophecy in ezekiel is that time is because if you go read zechariah 14 it's clearly about jesus when he comes back his second coming and you'll see tons of parallels between zechariah 14 and ezekiel 39 if you read them they look they sound very similar it sounds like they're describing kind of the same event and so people go, well, it sure seems like that's the same event. And if you go read Revelation 19, which again is about Jesus coming on the white horse with the sword out of his mouth, you know that passage, right, to destroy the Antichrist and his kingdom. Um, same thing. It's very, there's a lot of parallels that talk about, you know, birds eating flesh and this kind of thing. So you can, that would be, so some people would hold that to be the view. And, uh, but then the last one, there's another view, another, a third group would see it as being part after the millennial reign. So if you know kind of Revelation, Jesus comes back, and then he, is, he reigns on earth for a thousand years. And after that, Satan's let out, and there's one final battle. 
And the only other place that Gog and Magog is specifically mentioned in the New Testament is Revelation 20 as part of that battle um, in, uh, after the millennial reign. So good, good reason to believe that it's what it's talking about. So there's the views. There's kind of the three different views of that. Um, so again, this is just to let you be informed. Some of you, this is helpful. Other of you, if it's not, just that's okay. Let it go, <laughs> okay? Um, but uh, I don't want you to be uninformed. Um, some of you may have only heard one of those views and, and you're listening to people that are like, this is it, and they didn't mention any of these other views. And so that's one of the things. I don't want you to be easily fooled. I want you to know that there's three very biblically-based credible interpretations of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And we don't ignore it, but we don't hold on to one of them and tell everybody else they're wrong and think that we're right because right, we chose one and then divide over it. Okay, there's the two ditches we don't do. And, uh, but we have our eyes open, and so that's why I wanted to share that with you. Um, and, oh, yeah, here's, here's exactly that slide. So here, what, do we, what do we take from this? I kind of feel like I'm leaving you hanging, but here's how I want to leave you. First off, don't be uninformed. I encourage you to read and study your Bibles. Okay? Read, read Revelation, read these letters. I can get you the, you know, chapters. Read, don't, don't ignore it. Um, secondly, don't be alarmed or shaken. When you look at what's going on in the world and you hear people saying, this, is, this means it's the end, and if they attack from here, that means, you know, the world's going to end next year. And it, if it's shaking, alarming, making you fear, that's not God's heart right? We are not to be alarmed or shaken, okay? So be careful that if you feel yourself being pulled that way, um, that you don't end up being alarmed or shaken. We remind ourselves that God is in control, Jesus will return, and the call in all those texts is to stand firm to the end, and so that's what he's calling us to. Um, I love this, First, First Thessalonians 5.11, after Paul gets done answering these questions and talking about the end times, you know how he ends it? He says, therefore, encourage one another, and build one another up just as you are doing. That's how he concludes his kind of sermon like this, right? It's kind of like answering questions, informing them, trying for them not to be shaken. He ends with, talk with one another, encourage one another. That's the opposite of dividing over these things, right? And so that's the posture we're to take. And then lastly, and we'll see this as we go into our next, finish off with that Peter passage. We don't forget that Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, and I will be with you until the very end of the age. Right? When he ascended to heaven and the disciples were standing there looking up, the angels show up and they're like, Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, Jesus gave you a mission. He's coming back the same way you saw him go. You have a mission to do. And so that is how I want to leave us today. This, this is where I felt that passage that Boris read just sums this up, ties this all together. How are we to respond as Christians? What are we to take from it? And uh, so I'm not going to comment a lot about it. Um, if you have your Bibles there, please do turn to Second Peter chapter 3. The verses will be on the screen. Print's kind of small, though, if you can see it there. But this just, I'm just going to read it because I think it just, this is what we want to walk away with. With everything I've informed you of this morning, felt like a fire hose, what do you take away from it? Here you go. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring you up to sincere mind by way of reminder. So love that. Peter wrote these letters to the Jews that had been dispersed out of Israel. Okay? And his desire is that it would stir up their hearts, remind them. And that's our goal for you this morning. 
that you would remember the predictions of the holy prophets. There's the prophecies. Ezekiel, like we just talked about. It's like, don't forget that. I want to stir you up. I want to remind you of these things God says are going to happen. Okay? What's going to happen in the end. So I want you to remember those. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So we hold both. We, we, we were reminded of what God said, the prophecies, but we also don't forget that Jesus has given us a command to go and make disciples. He's commanded us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and love others, right? Love our neighbors ourselves. He's commanded us to love one another. And he said, this new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. And so we hold both those. We live according to the commands of Jesus, not forgetting the prophecies and, and what God said, Okay? Knowing that, first of all, why? Why is that important? Here's the reasons. Knowing that, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Right? Why is it important that we remember the commands of Jesus and we, we pay attention of the prophecies and what might happen? Because the devil is trying to get us off that mission. He sends scoffers and people to deter us. In our culture, it's most often just with comfort, just to be apathetic and comfortable, or to be scared and remove ourselves, or to divide over things. These are the, the attacks and that we need to be aware of. These scoffers, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So Peter's fighting against these scoffers. They're like, how do you know Jesus is coming back? No, he's not. Look at when since, you know, that's silly, right? And, but we, the fact Jesus is coming back drives us, right? Paul, when he was trying to help the Thessalonians, it was a different deceit. The Thessalonians, the, the false teachers then were saying, Jesus already came and you missed it, right? That's what Paul was responding to in 1st, 2nd Thessalonians. And so, and so there's all kinds of deceit out there, right? So what do we hold on to? For they, goes on to talk about these scoffers, these deceptions that's out there. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the world existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Right? God spoke this world into, be, into being in absolute control. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged by water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment destruction of the ungodly and i just to take out of that is just the fact that god by his word spoke the world into being and by his word he has already promised that he's coming back to make all things right and so as sure as the reality of our existence is we can be that sure that god is in still in control and he's coming back and so we hold on god isn't this isn't taking him by surprise he's not caught off guard right the world's not out of control Okay, that's what that's reminding us of. But then do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, but with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. You ever get impatient with God? But the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. Amen? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done will be exposed. So since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? 
waiting for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Amen. And so that's our call. We, we rejoice in the Savior that we're saved no matter what happens. And Jesus is in control. He's coming back. We are his, right? The encouragement to stay to the end and to remember that we've been given a mission. And as times get more difficult and events happen that uh, in the world, we look for opportunities that all would turn to Jesus and find salvation in him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there are so much and so many things um, that we could be fearful of. And without a, a secure hope, a sure hope that we have in you, without a foundation and a knowledge that you did make us, that you are in absolute control, that, that you have already appointed a day when you will return, Lord, we would be fearful. And so we thank you that through you we can have this sure hope. We can have a confidence um, that our faith um, in you, Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love. And so I pray that um, we would be encouraged that as we see the brokenness of this world, it would motivate us to share um, your love with each one, the truth of your salvation. And Lord, we thank you that you are patient, that uh, giving us time to tell as many people as possible. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mike.